0: Hey, sorry, my computer froze. <laughs> Listen, we are having all kinds of technical difficulties, but it's okay. We are here. It is Sunday, and we are back with another episode of the Crushed and Pressed podcast. Whoop, whoop. We are here in season four, where we are talking about 1969. I am Flip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm Ange. And
1: welcome, everybody. I was gonna say do i have a bad delay sorry
0: <laughs> no your delay is not bad at all Good. i'm Guys. watching us on three screens right now and our delay is not bad
2: <laughs> that sounds healthy
0: <laughs> i'm obsessed with oh. myself
2: <laughs> just like i'm just all over it's very nice <laughs> jeez okay so uh no- number one question on everybody's minds how you feeling? How you doing? Did you get your test back? I'm
0: good. I got my test results back yesterday at like Eight-ish. Eight, 8.30-ish p.m. Good. And I am uh-huh. We don't negative. have COVID. We don't have COVID. Like Cassidy's here. We don't have COVID. Um, I got my results back, like I said, at like 8.30 last night. And I don't have COVID. Good. That's all that matters to me. But we both got a week good. off of work. Yeah, but we both got a week off. Uh, and we still
3: had to work from home because we can both work from home because we had to wait for our uh-huh. results to get back so neither right. Neither one of us work in the restaurant industry we both were able and capable of working from home so we both worked from home all week
2: mm-hmm. oh man fun well good i'm glad you're not dead both of y'all thank it was, you it for wasn't being fun healthy.
0: it was not fun but i'm glad i'm not dead actually it was kind of fun yeah, It was we we got to watch um the society. The, the society the society
2: oh fun that's do a trip yeah that's a trip
3: does, does it make you angry that they canceled season two because of coronavirus <laughs> yes yes <laughs> and it's when I'm like, when all we know. were gonna get all the answers in season two that we didn't get in season one like
0: what what does mm-hmm. campbell do mm-hmm. does campbell kill her what about my boy harry what about my yeah what about her boy harry what the hell happens to What's-Her-Face's baby? Who's the baby daddy? <laughs> Who's the baby daddy? That's what I want to know. Thank you. There are that's all... my main one. Uh, okay, I think it's Campbell. Cassidy, and, yeah, I think it's Cassidy Campbell. and I have a theory that it's Campbell.
3: Because she is so eager for... What's the deaf guy's yeah. name?
2: For Sam?
3: Sam. She's so I eager know. for Sam to be the dad. Sam is Campbell's
2: brother. And they oh, look alike. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true so god i haven't seen that i saw that when it came out so like i'm sitting here going oh god it's all slowly coming back to me because i'm sitting here watching this and i'm like trevor it's like all my little teenager type shows but like with a better storyline this is going it does really have a nicely. really good storyline. and, li-
0: and i i like the jokes that they made about riverdale that was really yes, funny Was <laughs> was really funny to- yes they make jokes about riverdale when? in the show when mm-hmm. um when they talk about, like, oh, we're all going to be working together. Or, what is this? Riverdale, all of a sudden, we're working for the uh-huh. same goal. And I was like, perfect. This is perfect. That's
2: what I was thinking. I'm like, Riverdale came out first, then this, Sabrina. And then I was waiting on this. And yeah. I'm like, so nothing then? <laughs> what
0: the hell? Um, Sabrina's getting a new season in January, I think. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I
2: thought I heard it was canceled. So no, that's Sabrina's
0: good. getting a new season in January, which I kind of fell off after last season.
2: Oh. Oh, praise Satan. I didn't come watch on. Most,
0: much <laughs> past season two. She didn't watch much past season two, yeah. that's kind of lame. No, pretty...
2: What was the last one? Because I would say the last thing that was really exciting was like the Halloween one that they did between seasons. When and the then it got weird. Up her, her own, cousin that lived um, in the house is so annoying. When
3: Veronica opened up her own bar, but with no alcohol oh, whatsoever.
0: I didn't watch that. I was like, that's but, so lame. But with Sabrina. Yeah, I watched mm-hmm. the Halloween special. Sabrina was good. Sabrina. The was Christmas good. special was good when they uh, did Yule. Yes, the Christmas special was
4: oh, really, so really cute. Good. Yeah,
2: I know. Then that's when Trevor likes it too. So he's like, "We have a new Sabrina." I'm like, "I love this about you."
0: Yeah, <laughs> Sabrina. Yeah, Sabrina is good. Riverdale. Like
3: Riverdale. Like I said, Riverdale, blah, blah,
0: blah, blah. Riverdale is like. <laughs> catchy but it's super it, it just drags on so long but it is like no I don't, but, it's but it's so, so fucking lame. It's not, it's it's so it, it is it's like yeah. that is like my guilty pleasure show like if you guys have to know anything about me that is my guilty pleasure no show.
3: mine is lost like i, I just watched watch, lost. watch it and
0: i'm like mm. every, every time pretty i've, pretty I've ever liars. broken up
3: with a boyfriend i've watched lost from the beginning to the end i've and seen sh- it 12 <laughs> times And that's <laughs> and my guilty is pleasure pretty liars pretty liars the books are great no more girls the
2: show is terrible. I'm re-watching Gilmore Girls right now for like the oh third time. Oh my god, I love Gilmore Girls.
0: I, and see, I didn't so like fun. Gilmore Girls. How? Like, oh, it's so funny.
3: What the it's hell fun. is wrong with you? What's wrong with
0: me? I just didn't like that show. Literally,
2: literally laugh out loud by myself watching that shit. I think oh it's so god. funny. Oh my god, Gilmore
3: Girls but, is amazing. There's nothing wrong with that show. They, they literally like close every open end. I just wasn't
2: yep. a
0: fan of it. I don't know. But, yeah, but
2: well, yeah, you gotta be in the right place. Eh, you also gotta like rich people shit. I don't know. That's why I also like you have Pretty to have Little Liars because I'm a like, oh, little rich. You have, have to be Tell like a, a wo- poor
3: person that has rich <laughs> family members to really yes. understand. <laughs> it. Yes, because I, don't
2: I, don't I don't have. I have a family member that's Emily Gilmore. <laughs> Absolutely. And
0: see, mm, I and, and I like. I wasn't really that into Pretty Little Liars. I wasn't that into Gilmore Girls. What's that other one? Mm. Oh, fuck. Um, is it Gossip Girl? Yeah, gossip girl. I wasn't into oh, that. Gossip Girls. <gasps> girl. 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 I am <laughs> <I'm> a Blair. <laughs> but I'm actually I wasn't into that. I'm actually Serena, but I want to be Blair. I think maybe like so I'm just not in the headspace for that. Like I don't like like that like yeah. I don't I don't Good know. I uh, I
2: a gala for no reason.
0: I grew up watching like <laughs> Nothing but fucking murder mysteries, so I'm not like super into it. So, uh, like, yeah, for no, sh- I need
2: traps. Every once in a while, I need underage kids drinking alcohol in no. fancy ball gowns.
0: For like shits and giggles, like I'm out here watching like Deadly Women or something, and like that's always good.
2: <laughs> that's the best. Um, I was gonna say, so what? What are y'all drinking? What are
0: y'all? <laughs> um, Cassidy is drinking this little thing. It's almost done. It's a little bottle of Sutter Home. Marlow, cute. Um, nice. I have I have seven more. Of yeah, them. she has seven more, but I have a box of the winking owl because they sell them in boxes. They're eleven dollars. So They're eleven dollars. I finished
3: mine yesterday.
0: If you guys need Take a good two. box wine, go ahead and go to Aldi and buy your ten dollar box of winking owl. <laughs> it is bomb. A
4: good box wine. A good box wine.
0: <laughs> a good box wine. Which is like,
2: let me just let's get real fancy for a minute. A good uh, box I wine. I busted out my one President that I got Trump's from helicopter uh, JJ. helicopter is for sale, and
3: you can make a, an offer now.
2: This one from JJ.
0: Oh, JJ got you a good one. The San Sebastian is bomb. It's so good. So yeah, I got a couple of those. Um, yeah, so
2: I'm actually drinking tonight for once. So, because, I mean, Hi. here's the thing. I didn't know about this guy until we pulled up the stuff, and then I started reading through it, and I went, oh, this is real fun, and I didn't read through all of it, so it's an adventure again. Learning as we go, and it just the first couple of paragraphs I was like, and we're done here. What a mess! So that's why I've got this. This will be
0: interesting, you guys. (laughs) Jesus. Um,
2: and then today, because it's Sunday, I have some words for you guys because we didn't do one last Sunday. So I have two code words for you later on in the episode. Stay tuned, get excited. Okay. Um, anything else before we dive into this? I mean, Um, shit went down in the country.
0: Yes, I'm shipping <laughs> down in the country, you guys. Did you read did you hear the speech though? The speech was really good. Yeah.
2: And it got emailed to me because I donated one time. And so now they'll never leave me alone. Um, so yeah, I got the speeches texted out, emailed to me. And I was the like, The speech well, really was nice. The I speech like was
0: very, very good. I am mm-hmm. um excited for teachers in the country. And I'm Just... excited being somebody who has my teaching. Education, I'm excited um cassidy yeah. is showing me an article right now where president trump's helicopter is now up for sale if you guys want to make an offer offer that's some good it's for sale yeah. it's for sale forbes <laughs> is showing it as for sale and we all know forbes oh is the foremost place Shit, to go. you can't see but yeah. it's forbes, for sale yeah forbes is the foremost place <laughs> to go and then um did you hear that alex trebek died I know. It's that a Boeing seven forty seven. That's really sad. Um, I know. Hey, well,
3: he has known he was dying for several years now. Yeah, but still, like he was like yeah. so
0: dedicated to like fighting it and like getting past it. Hey,
3: but he was tough the whole time, uh-huh. and he never ever ever came off as weak. And a person dying from cancer, he literally that's made this statement like three years ago that I'm dying from cancer, uh-huh. and that was it. And yeah. he did his shit, and he died I, from yeah, cancer. And you he know just what? Kept going. He never died, like, he was never dying from cancer. I I can respect that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that same thing with... um, He was was just Alex Trebek the whole time.
0: Oh, yes.
2: Chadwick Boseman, same thing. same thing, and never
0: said anything. Same with... um, I can respect that. Same with, what's Kelly Preston. Yeah, Yeah, Kelly Preston.
3: Kelly Preston fought for three years with breast cancer. No one ever even knew. I can respect
0: that.
2: Yep. Um, I think it was uh, our friend my friend Felicia posted a thing and she's like, I want somebody to do one of those little drawings of Sean Connery greeting Alex Trebek and saying, What's that line from Oh, oh god, from the time. SNL
0: skit. Yes. Sean yes. Connery it... and Alex Trebek, the SNL skit. Fuck. <laughs> I cannot remember now. Hold on, I'm
2: gonna look that shit up because I'm gonna kill the damn I already killed the damn joke, but it was still funny. And I read it and I was like
3: uh I need this soft you, basket when Kyle Mooney kills
0: Kanye West in a rap battle. Stop.
4: Oh Jesus.
0: I just love uh watching <laughs> Maya Rudolph's SNL skit when she pretends to be um when she pretends to be Kamala Kamala
4: Harris. and she's like, oh, I
0: haven't seen it yet. And she's like, I'm talking, Vice Mr. Vice President, I'm talking, I'm speaking, I'm speaking, it's my turn to speak. <laughs> you see yeah, me right now? It's I'm speaking. <laughs> it's Suck <great>. it, Trebek. <laughs> Suck it, Trebek. Suck it, Trebek, yes. Christ.
2: Yeah, she's like, I want somebody to make that little animation and make that happen.
0: Okay. All right. Um, um, today, Are we ready for that? Yeah, let's, let's jump right in. Today we're talking about the Michigan murders. Um, the Ypsilanti Ripper, and Ange is going to take off. Go off,
2: Okay, girl. so welcome. Let's see. Uh, the Michigan murders was a series of highly publicized killings of young women committed between 1967 and 1969 in the Ann Arbor Ypsilanti. Is that how you say that? Yeah, Ypsilanti.
0: Ypsilanti. Y- Ypsilanti. Area of Ypsilanti.
2: Ypsilanti. All right. Oh, I'm not from Michigan. I think, Michigan, it, I think Michigan. it's Ypsilanti sounds good i'm gonna be messing that up the whole episode um it's by one guy he's got three of the murderer names so the michigan murderer ypsilanti ripper and the co-ed killer which in my head i'm like that's like a million different dudes well
0: the he was killer. mainly known as the co-ed killer for a long time and then okay. they changed it to ypsilanti
2: that makes sense because it's from the area um so All the victims were young women between the ages of 13 and 21. They were all abducted, raped, beaten, and murdered. So trigger warning for the rest of this because we're going to get into some of these. Um, That's what we're headed for. And they were typically killed by stabbing or strangulation with their bodies occasionally mutilated after death before being discarded within a 15-mile radius of Washtenaw, Washtenaw County. And our guy, our boy, this guy, is John Norman Chapman. Uh, Then he was known as John Norman Collins, so names, and he was arrested one week after the final murder. Um, He was sentenced to life imprisonment for this final murder attributed to the Michigan murderer, and that was on August 19th, 1970, so right at the end of our time frame here. And he is currently incarcerated at the Marquette Branch Prison. Uh, so he was never tied, tried, he was never tried for the remaining five murders attributed to the Michigan murderer or the murder of a sixth girl in California whose death has been linked to this series. But investigators believe that he was responsible for all seven of those murders and they were all linked to him. So that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, so the heavy part, our first known victim was... 19-year-old Eastern Michigan University accounting student, Mary Therese Flazar, Flazar? Um, who was last seen alive in July by a neighbor walking toward her Ypsilanti apartment. The neighbor twice saw a young man in a blue-gray Chevy slow to a halt beside her and begin talking to her. And then each time she had shaken her head and walked away from the car. So she's trying her best. Her nude body was found by two 15-year-old boys on an abandoned farm at Superior Township on August 7th and was formally identified via dental records. So her body was so badly decomposed that even though the pathologist who examined her was able to determine that she had been stabbed approximately 30 times, 30, three zero, in the chest and the abdomen with a knife or another sharp object her feet had been severed just above the ankle, her thumb and sections of her fingers of one hand were missing, and one forearm had been severed from her body. So these severed appendages were never found. And despite the advanced state of the decomposition, the pathologist was able to locate multiple lineal abrasions upon her chest and torso, indicating that she had been extensively beaten before her death. Um, So police theorists, eyes that had been raped and the advanced state of decomposition of the corpse had erased any conclusive evidence of that. So they can't be 100% sure, but based on the nudity and the laying of the body and everything else, it's assumed that she was sexually assaulted. She was raped. So a detailed examination of the crime scene revealed that the body had been moved three times throughout the month that it had been undiscovered initially her body was on a pile of bottles and cans obscured from view by a bunch of elder trees before it was dragged five feet from this location into a field where it had remained exposed through much of the time it had been undiscovered and then shortly before the body was discovered the murderer had again returned to the body and moved it a further three feet so why eight feet you're going to move this thing eight feet away and it's in this bad state of decomp, like, what the? So that's fun. Um, two days after the remains had been identified as Mary Flazar, a young man claiming to be a friend of the family arrived at the funeral home, holding her body prior, uh, at the funeral home that was holding her body prior to the burial. This guy asked for permission to take a photo of the body as it lay in the coffin as a keepsake for her parents. When informed that his request was impossible, that young man replied, you mean you can't fix her up enough so I could just get one picture of her? And he was told a second time that he would not be allowed to view the body, and he wordlessly exited the funeral home. So the receptionist could not offer any clear description of the guy beyond that he was a handsome young white man with dark hair, which is fucking everybody, and he had driven a blue-gray Chevy, and he had not been carrying a camera so that's weird
0: that's fucking disgusting Uh
2: uh-huh and just creepy so this is one of those serial killers when you hear about this and the the relocating of the body the coming back to the burial the you know getting super involved with everything i'm like this is the shit that's in movies this is not real (laughs) and it's real um so, of course, there were subsequent murders. Almost a year later, uh, July 5th, 1968, the partially decomposed mutilated body of a 20-year-old art student named Joan Elspeth Shell was found by a construction worker on an Ann Arbor roadside. She had been raped and then stabbed 25 times with a knife, estimated to have measured about four inches in length. So now we're getting closer. We know the length of the weapon. Um, several of those wounds had punctured her lungs, her liver, and her corroded artery carotid artery, with one additional wound inflicted behind her left ear, fracturing her skull. In addition, her throat had been slashed and her mini skirt then tied around her neck. Um, Although Shell had been dead for several days, her entire lower body was remarkably preserved, whereas her head, shoulders, and breasts were in advanced state of decomposition. So... That led the pathologist to conclude that her body had been stored in a naturally cool environment, but with the upper third of her body exposed to the heat. And that's, I was going to say, there was some other case where somebody was, like, they died, they were covered in snow. Oh, no, I'm thinking of the people that die on Everest. Yeah. Because you can still see, like, their bodies are still there. They're being preserved by the cold. And, like as people are climbing Mount Everest, you pass by these bodies, and those are your mile marker. Like, you know how far you are based on whose body you pass by. Well, we also
0: talked about the case of Sister Sesnick, and same thing. Her body was preserved in snow. Mm
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. Um, So, there was a lack of blood beneath or near the corpse, and then uh, testimony of eyewitnesses led investigators to think that her body had Been in its present location for less than 24 hours because had she been killed there, there would have been blood. There would have been something there. So clearly she was moved. Um, Her murderer had likely driven to the location to dispose of her body before making rudimentary efforts to conceal it with clumps of grass. In addition to the outstanding similarities between the wounds inflicted upon the body, because this was what, like 10 stabs less than the other one. Um, Her, let's see. The previous year led investigators, okay, the similarities between her and the previous murder led investigators to establish a definite connection between the two murders, and four detectives were assigned to work full-time on both cases. So this girl, uh, last name Shell, hailed from Plymouth and had recently moved to a house on Emmett Street in Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti. She was last seen by her roommate, Susan Kolb, at a Washtenaw Avenue bus station Uh, the evening of June 30th. And she had intended to travel to Ann Arbor to visit her boyfriend and her roommate had taken her to the bus stop. So the roommate, let me make sure that's who I'm saying. Yes, the roommate later informed investigators that um, Michelle had informed her of her intentions to hitchhike when it became apparent that she had missed the last bus. And that one of the first vehicles to pass when she began hitchhiking was a red and black Pontiac Bonneville containing three young white men. This vehicle had slowed, and a driver—it uh, had slowed to a stop before the driver asked her want a ride. And the driver had been around 20, with short, dark, side parted hair. Uh, the roommate later stated that she had attempted to stop her friend from entering this vehicle, but she had opted to accept the driver's offer, promising to call her roommate to let her know that she was safe once she reached her boyfriend's house. And less than three hours later, the roommate reported that she was still missing, after failing to receive any contact, so she never got a call. Um, and, guys, the 60s, 70s, it was a different time. There was a lot of hitchhiking going on. Yeah, that was a thing really we did. really normal. Yeah, we don't do that
0: now. I was gonna say, Sealy is just all up in Angie's shit right now. Give him now.
3: some love right now.
0: <laughs> he just wants some attention. He's like, <laughs> he so he's just going, needs it. Um, like, he's popped up on know. the left side of the screen, the right side of the screen. <laughs> he's like, I really need some attention. You.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: just give me love, please, now. He's, really um, he's like, I'm sorry, were you talking about shit? The whole shit? time you were like,
0: talking, I was just like, please, please pay attention to him. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's gonna get right up in the microphone in a minute. <laughs> he deserves All of a sudden, we're just gonna be sitting here and he's gonna be like, <laughs> right oh, in the microphone. Oh, there he oh goes. My. That's how okay. we need it.
3: There, now we can carry yeah. on. Um, yeah. Okay. Just in
0: case you guys didn't know, this is a completely different time oh, here. He's hugs. I know. It's a completely different <laughs> time here. Like hitchhiking is completely normal. Hitchhiking to your boyfriend's house. Oh yeah, I, it's I like be, it's
3: being like being on. Uh orange
0: blossom trail in orlando in like 1999
2: you just hitchhike home it's not a big deal no and actually i saw i'm in this group online called girls love travel and somebody from another country was saying how she was coming to florida to visit and she's like is there public transit like from one part of florida to the other we're like i mean greyhound buses and stuff like that but not like Taxi's not going to take you from Jacksonville to Orlando, like it's expensive. Oh, well, is hitchhiking okay? What? No, No. and not in Florida.
0: Yeah, please do (laughs) not hitchhike in Florida, you guys. Uh, that's murder. That's you're just asking to be murdered the second you hitchhike here. Have you heard of Eileen Warnock? Yeah, just you're asking (laughs) to be murdered. Look at that freaking cat.
3: (laughs) I I can see his little face, he's
4: so
2: cute. Oh, man. Okay, so back to our story. So she hitchhiked with this guy. The roommate never got a call back. So she can kind of give a description of the car to the officers and see what's going to happen. But they traced and eliminated more than 150 registered owners of red and black vehicles in the state of Michigan and established the alibis of numerous individuals who were physically featured like like the guys. So um, there was a composite drawing of the driver yeah. that the police had obtained from the roommate. And all investigative lines of inquiry led to the murder, um, leading to the murder, didn't work out. The wording is failed to bear fruition. Jesus. Um, on August 18th, investigators announced that all of their significant leads had been exhausted and that the number of officers assigned to investigate the case had been reduced.
0: First of all, and I just think going, it's super. Was it 24? <laughs> I just think it's super suspect that. Yeah, super sus that homeboy tries to pick up previous girl in this pickup truck, and then that same pickup truck shows up to the funeral home, and, like, not one single person is concerned.
2: Yeah, and going, hey, piece this together.
0: Like, not a single
2: person. Oh. 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 I know. So... Let's see all of the leads have been exhausted and they, the investigative crew is reduced but inquiry into both murders remained active. So that's good they didn't just go cold. And a reward then totaling $7,800. So that's in 60s money? Someone want to calculate that? Um, so like, the reward 10, the reward was 7,800. So now like 10,000? dollars 13,000,
4: 15,000? Yeah.
2: $25,000. It was a lot of money, guys. Yeah. Um, there was a reward leading t- for information leading to the conviction of the perpetrator on both homicides. Um. Two months after Shell's murder, police inquiries produced two further eyewitnesses who stated that they had observed her walking with a young man along Emmett Street on the evening she disappeared. So although neither eyewitness was certain, both believed that this student to be... <laughs> great. John Norman Collins, a student at Eastern Michigan University majoring in elementary education.
0: Not suspect at all.
2: No, he lived directly across the street from Shell at the 619 Emmett, and his physical features bore a likeness to the composite drawing. (laughs) And, uh, let's see, and when questioned by police, he flatly denied even knowing her and insisted that he had spent the weekend of June 29th to 30th with his mother at her house in Detroit, um, and had not returned to Ypsilanti until the morning of July 1st. Initially, police took him at his word, and they did not seek to verify his alibi.
1: Of course they didn't. Because why would we? I,
2: I know. seems like a nice young man. He's majoring in education of small children. I believe him. He was with his mother. Also, the girls run away. Like, I just can't with the 60s. Um... So in spring of 1969, a 23-year-old Michigan, uh, University of Michigan law student named Jane Louise Mixer disappeared after posting a note on a college bulletin board seeking a lift across the state to her hometown of Muskegon, where she had intended to inform her family of her engagement and eminent move to New York City. So she just had some really good news and needed a ride. Her fully clothed body, covered with her own raincoat, and with a copy of the novel Catch-22 placed by her side, was found the following morning atop a grave in Denton Cemetery in Van Buren Township. He laid her out on top of a grave. Um, an autopsy revealed that she had been shot twice in the head with a twenty-two caliber pistol and then garroted with a nylon stocking, which uh, the pathologist noted did not belong to her. The pathologist also stated that Mixer had not been sexually assaulted, that the death had occurred at approximately 3 a.m. on the 21st, and she had not been killed at the location where her body was discovered. So to me, this all sounds very different, but also you're in the same area and it's somebody looking for a ride. Um, So same kind of victim, but different execution. Um, Despite the fact that she had not been subjected to a sexual assault, the fact that her tights had been lowered to expose her thighs, ugh, and a sanitary napkin suggested a sexual motive behind the murder. And although the victim had not been beaten, stabbed, or mutilated, her student status, the tying of a garment around her neck, and the proximity of her abduction and murder led investigators to tentatively link her to the other two murders. So four days after they found her body on March 25th, A surveyor discovered the nude, mutilated body of a teenage girl behind a vacant house on a remote, rural section of Earhart Road. Earhart. Oh, Earhart. Um, Just a few hundred yards from where the body of Joan Schell had been discovered eight months previously. So investigators called to the crime note. noted a dramatic increase in the savagery exhibited against the victim, with one investigator describing the injuries inflicted upon the victim as being the worst he had seen in 30 years of police work. And then a subsequent autopsy revealed that the victim had died of numerous fractures covering one-third of her skull and one side of her face, all which had been inflicted with a heavy blunt instrument. Okay, so so far it sounds to me like he... Got the one girl, didn't do what he wanted to do and took it out on this girl. Um, So these injuries had been inflicted after the victim had been extensively beaten and tortured. Her killer had placed a section of her own shirt into her trachea to muffle her screams as she received extensive blunt force trauma to the face, head, and body, including several deep lacerations believed to have been inflicted with a leather strap. So she had welt marks all over her chest and shoulders, indicating that the killer had been using restraints to hold her prone while he whipped her torso and upper legs with a leather belt before tearing a branch from a nearby tree and inserting that instrument into her. Um, Blood splatterings and churned soil close to the crime scene indicated that she had been beaten close to where her body was discovered and that she may have attempted to escape her attacker. So this victim was identified as 16-year-old Romulus high school student. Romulus high school student, sorry. Her name was uh, Marilyn Skelter. Skelton. Dang, Skelton. Who had, um, she had disappeared while hitchhiking in Ann Arbor. She was only 16. She was last seen alive outside of a drive-in restaurant in Washtenaw Avenue two days before her body was discovered. And then uh, autopsy reports indicate that she had died between 24 and 36 hours before her body was discovered. So the investigators noted very strong similarities between this murder and the previous killings, of course, including that the garter belt had been tied around her neck and her clothes and shoes had been neatly placed beside her body. However, however, the dramatic increase in the savagery exhibited against her and the fact that she... Uh, Skelton was a known drug user and dealer as opposed to a university student. Um, that led some junior investigators to speculate that her murder may have been drug related. Maybe. But the rest of it is college students hitchhiking. It's another girl that was still out. So, nonetheless, Ann Arbor Police Chief Walter Crancy formally linked her murder to the series.
4: <sighs>
2: so, they did um following her murder the last one police formed a five formed the five separate jurisdictions where the murderer had abducted or disposed of the bodies of his victims and they they formally combined resources in an effort to compare information and identify the perpetrator so before this like you'll hear a lot of stuff from the 50s and earlier if it wasn't in your jurisdiction then it wasn't yours And people did not want to share information over county lines and shit like that. And so that's how a lot of these serial killers got away with stuff, especially if, like, Ted Bundy going from state to state and doing stuff all over. If no one's out there piecing this together, it looks like you have one situation in your area. And then you hear, oh, there's 30 other ones just like it across the United States. Seems like the guy's been taking a train and dropping off to wherever. But you don't know that unless you speak to each other. So they formed the coalition to do this. Um so they had formally exchanged information with other agencies from other jurisdictions on an irregular basis since the previous summer and there was no coordination to combine efforts um before the discovery of the third victim that definitely linked it into a series and they said okay we need to figure this out. So by early April each of these law en- law enforcement agencies had collectively assigned 20 investigators to work exclusively upon these four homicides. So we went from four to, like, nothing, and now we're at 20. There, there was very little physical evidence existing beyond eyewitness descriptions and then the forensic reports. So police had noted and would continue to note that the common denominators in the physical characteristics of the victims, so young, woman, alone, blah, 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 and the manner in which they died. So all of the victims had been brunette. Caucasians, each um, excluding Mixer, had been the recipient of extensive violence inflicted with a blunt and or bladed instrument prior to her murder, and each of the victims' bodies had been found within a 15-mile radius of Washtenaw County, and each victim, excluding Mixer, had received knife wounds to the neck. Furthermore, each victim had been found with an item of clothing tied around their, her neck, and each woman had been, oh no, each woman had been menstruating at the time of her death. These factors led police to publicly conclude the same perpetrator was responsible for at least three of these murders thus far committed. How do you know that these girls are on their periods? Yeah, but you can't see them under their
1: dress. Yeah, I was say, he can't
0: tell that all. I think that might just right. be a coincidence. <laughs> like, I, I don't know if he's just specifically looking for women who are on their period.
2: <laughs> he could smell them. I, no, I don't know.
0: <laughs> I hope
2: not. You're welcome. I hope not. I was going to say technology in uh, things to help you at, at that delicate time of each month have advanced very much since this time. Um, that's a weird coincidence.
0: Yeah, just the total quits.
4: Sorry, you guys.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't like that. I don't think people can hunt you based on that. No. I hope not. Oh. So, one second. A little more water. My mouth is getting all gross. Are you
1: mm-hmm. the Pierce the Veil shirt right now? Look.
2: Yes. Also. I don't know anything about this band. I don't think I've ever heard any music I just received the shirt as a donation thing and I like the design okay. I was just I... I'm a poser I don't know anything about them and all I got a lot of compliments from the girl at the Lowe's paint area that was helping me get paint she really liked my shirt she loves the band she really wants to have band shirts again and she thought it was very cool of me to be wearing it and I'm like thanks <laughs> I listened to Hanson <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ain't no attention
2: day. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm old. <laughs> I'm
1: allowed to fake it.
2: <laughs> but yes, I am wearing a piercing shirt. Okay, so fifth and sixth murders. Cause th- th- it don't stop. Um, we've now got the task force working on this. But then at 6.30 a.m. on April 16th, the body of a 13-year-old schoolgirl named Don Luis Basem Oh, that's so sad. And her picture is on the website I'm looking at. Um, she was found discarded beside a desolate road in Ypsilanti. Her clo- she was clothed only in a white blouse and bra, which had been pushed around her neck, and she had been repeatedly stabbed in the chest and the genitals and had received multiple slash wounds across her breast, butt, and stomach, and then strangled to death with a two-foot length of electrical flex still knotted around her neck. A handkerchief found stuffed in her mouth had likely been placed there to muffle her cries throughout her torture, and her murderer had placed her body in a location where rapid discovery was assured. That's a 7th
1: grader. Just so
2: y'all know, that's a 7th grader. Um, Investigators found no definite evidence that she had been subjected to a sexual assault prior to her murder. Um She had last been seen alive at seven thirty p m the previous evening, walking home from a friend's house located barely a mile away from her own house. She had been accompanied part way by a friend named Earl Kidd who informed police that he and Basim had part they had parted company at a desolate road just five blocks from her home, and she had begun walking alone along the alongside the railroad tracks toward her home. One eyewitness reported seeing the girl minutes thereafter at approximately seven thirty five Although her movements after that were never verified. So the orange mohair sweater belonging to her was found in a deserted farmhouse just a hundred yards from the desolate road, desolate road on which her body had been placed after her murder. Glass particles found within the basement were of a similar consistency to those found on the soles of her shoes. And upon conducting a search of the basement of this farmhouse, the investigators discovered a further garment of her clothing, a length of electrical flex of the same type used to strangle the victim, and fresh human blood stains, indicating that this location was the site where she was actually killed. So, one week after the murder of Dawn Basom, a detective conducting a routine examination of the farmhouse basement began, uh, discovered a scrap of cloth from Basem's blouse plus an earring later determined to belong to Marilyn Skelton. Each item had been deliberately placed in this location, indicating that the murderer had returned to the scene of the crime and that the two homicides were definitely linked. So the farmhouse itself was actually destroyed in an act of arson on May 13th when the fire was extinguished five uh, clipped lilacs were found arranged in an even row across the driveway to the building, leading investigators to theorize that they had been placed there by the murderer to symbolize each victim. This guy's
4: fucked up. Fucked
2: okay. up. Um. So less than two months after the murder of Don Basim, on June 9th, three teenage boys discovered a partially nude body of a young woman in a field close to an abandoned farmhouse in the North Territorial Road. The victim had received multiple slash and stab wounds to the body, including two stab wounds, which had pierced her heart, and a gunshot wound to the forehead before her neck uh, had been cut through to the spine. The victim's right thumb had also received a gunshot wound, suggesting that she had instinctively raised her hand to protect herself, and the killer had fired the gun at point-blank range. And she had also been raped, although the pathologist was unable to determine whether this had occurred before or after death. And then sections of her clothing were scattered around her body, although one of her shoes was missing. So that victim was identified the following day as 21-year-old University of Michigan graduate student named Alice Elizabeth Kalem, who had disappeared shortly after midnight on the morning of June 8th. She was last seen walking home toward her apartment on Thompson Street having attended a friend's party and the discovery of several dried blood stains and two buttons missing from the victim's raincoat at Northfield Township commercial gravel pit on the 10th indicated that the victim had been murdered at this location. So investigators had publicly claimed prior to Kalem's murder that they were satisfied that the third victim initially linked to the Michigan murder, uh, Jane Mixer had been killed by a separate perpetrator. But the fact that Kalem had also received a gunshot wound to her head led the investigators to reconsider that maybe Mixer had been murdered by the same perpetrator. Because, again, weapons and different ages, but all the victims look the same. It's all during while they're alone and you can snatch them. So, yeah. Um, and then, let me see, what am I going through? Through the final murder? Okay. So there was clearly a lot of public unrest with this. And by the spring of 1969, a huge public outcry regarding the murders committed by the individual dubbed by the press as the Michigan murderer and the co-ed killer was increasing. Because if you live in this little town and girls are getting really grossly murdered, you want answers. Um... So the increase in frequency in which the killer was striking throughout the spring and summer of 69, coupled with the fact that most victims had been connected to the University of Michigan or Eastern Michigan University, suggested that the killer may be a fellow student. Um, And then it also further compounded concerns of female students. And many of the students opted to arm themselves with knives and others were adopting a buddy system. So they would refuse to walk anywhere alone unless they were in the company of a trusted male friend or at least three other girls. And sales of tear gas, knives, and security locks increased. Hitchhiking became a rarity. Yeah, nope, wouldn't do that. And then the reward offered for information leading to the arrest and conviction was increased to $42,000. So that went up a whole hell of a lot. And in this time, it would be hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a lot of money. So by July of 69, as a result of the coordinated investigation, Thank God. Uh, More than a 1,000 convicted sex offenders had been investigated and eliminated as suspects. Over 800 tips from informants had been actively investigated. And several thousand individuals were routinely interviewed. So even though they definitely had the guy at one point for two seconds, this is killing me. Although (laughs) Washtenaw County Sheriff Douglas Hardy conceded at a press conference that the same month that investigators had little evidence to act upon and that the perpetrator had yet to make a serious error, he was adamant that the fact that the murderer was still at large and it was due to pure luck and not for lack of police effort because they were doing work. They weren't, they weren't fucking around. They were clearing people. They just didn't ask the right questions of the one dude. Um, so at the request of an Ann Arbor citizen's community, a Dutch psychic named Peter Herkos traveled to Washing- God, Washtenaw County uh, to generate a psychic profile of the murderer. He accurately predicted that the murderer was a strongly built white male under 25 who had been born outside of the United States and who rode a motorcycle. Having led investigators to the precise location where each of the victims' bodies had been discovered, Hercos also revealed details of the murders to investigators which had not been released to the press. Although this information proved to be of little help throughout the actual manhunt, Hercos also predicted that this individual would shortly strike one final time. So now we have the final murder. It was attributed to the killer. Um, okay, this is the final murder attributed to the killer, and it was 18-year-old Karen Sue Beineman, an Eastern Michigan University student who was last seen alive on July 23rd, 1969. She was reported missing by her roommate, Sherry Green, and she didn't come back to her dorm before after curfew. So upon questioning both of her roommates, police were informed that um, Karen had last been seen shortly after noon on her way to a downtown wig shop. And this is like past curfew. She's still not back. So three days after her disappearance, her nude body was discovered face down in a wooded gully along the Huron River Parkway. Um, A medical examination revealed that she had been extensively beaten about her face and body with some lacerations inflicted being so severe that skin had been removed, exposing subcutaneous tissues. She had received extensive skull and brain injuries, which had been inflicted with a blunt instrument and had been forced to ingest a caustic substance and her neck, shoulders, nipples, and breasts had been burned with the same caustic agent. And she had As had been the case with previous victims, the killer had placed a section of cloth in her throat to muffle her screams throughout her torture. She had died of strangulation, and although the pathologist noted the blunt force injuries inflicted on her skull and brain had been so extensive that they would have proven fatal, even if she hadn't been strangled. Um, They also never found whatever that blunt instrument was. It never turned up. The forensic examination of her body further revealed that she had been raped prior to her murder and that her torn panties had been forced, forcefully placed inside of her vagina and these panties revealed the presence of human semen and 509, 509 human hair clippings measuring less than 3 eighths of an inch upon the material these hair clippings were predominantly blonde and as such did not belong to the victim whose hair color had been dark brown so that's fucked up um <laughs> Mindful of the fact that the killer had evidently returned to the sites previous in the previous murders to move the bodies, possibly in a sexual ritual, police theorized that he may attempt to return to this last crime scene. So earlier attempts to enforce news blackouts as to the discovery of the other victims had been unsuccessful, and on this occasion, the police successfully ordered a news blackout relating to the discovery of this victim, and her body was placed with that of a Taylor's mannequin, it was replaced with a Taylor's mannequin, and the gully surrounding this mannequin monitored by und- undercover officers. So they took her body up, they put a mannequin in, they put officers around it. I swear to God this was an episode of Criminal Minds at or they had because there was one. it was either CSI, it was one of them, but they had someone stand in as the yeah. body, like they dressed an agent as and had her laying under the grass.
1: Bring that. Does
2: that seem familiar?
0: I think it's probably criminal minds.
2: Yeah, because they knew the guy was going to come back and so they addressed somebody up as the victim and like covered her with leaves. I think I remember. And he was putting lipstick on her. It was a whole thing. So, at approximately 2 a.m. the following morning, in the midst of a heavy, humid storm, one officer discovered a young man running from the gully. The heavy rain and insect irritation had prevented the officer from observing the young man actually approaching the gully. So although this officer attempted to radio his sighting to his colleagues the rain had rendered his radio inoperable. Fucking hell. So yeah. Great. Okay, so before we get into the investigation, flip you want to tell them where they can find us?
0: And you guys stay tuned cuz you want to help know how this ends. Right. So if you guys are looking for any of our social media, you know, you can look Right up in that top corner right there. All of our social media is up there. We are on Discord at Crush and Press Podcast. That's where you can find any of our pictures that we upload. Any of our evidence from our hunter killer boxes, all be there. Um our Instagram where we just kind of post random stuff that is crush impressed underscore pod. That's where you'll find all kinds of fun stuff about me and a random stuff that we're doing fun things on Facebook where we give you updates and you guys will get to live, when we go live, I'm sorry. Um, you can always subscribe and follow. If you subscribe and you get notifications, then you will know when we go live. And best option, right? When we go live, you guys can see it happening right here, right now. And then of course, we're on Twitter where I just post any kind of random news, updates, anything like that. Those will all go on Twitter. That's a fun place. Of course, you can subscribe to us on any of our podcatchers. That's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, Anchor. Any of those, you can find us there, and you can listen to any previous episode that we've had up until the beginning of this season. This season will be released of course after we are done. This entire season that that season will be released sometime after giving. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll get there. We'll get It'll there, happen. you guys. It'll happen. And then, of course, you can follow us on YouTube. If you've missed any episodes and you guys want to watch us these episodes and go back to our YouTube, or you can go back through our Facebook videos, where you'll see all of our Hunter Killer boxes live and in person. And you will get to see all of our evidence popped up on the
1: screen.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think that sounds right. Yeah. Um, And then I just went through our secret words and I've got three words left. So I should do one now and then I've got the other two with the other two Sundays. So I was wrong. You guys only get one new word. But if you've been keeping track... um, each Sunday episode, we give you guys some hidden word. It belongs to a phrase. It's a phrase of wisdom from Joey, and they are mixed up. So you're collecting all these words. You're going to unscramble them into the hidden message and send that in, and then you get to win a coffee mug, right? Yeah. um, From us. Yeah. They're made by Flip with love. Um, So your word, this is a great word. This is a terrible word for this episode. Chewy. C H E W Y Chewy, I like Chewy cookies. Chewy, as in Chewbacca.
0: Yes, Chewy. Chewy, <laughs> chewy bars. Thank you. Guys, you, remember though. Chewy bars? I remember Chewy bars. <laughs> chewy do... bars were great. I do not remember Chewy are they bars. They're really sweet. They're Quaker Chewy bars. They are sometimes chocolatey. Oh no, I still have those in my thing. <laughs> yeah, Quaker Chewy bars. <laughs> remember like Chewy? Yeah, was like, wait.
2: Yeah, remember, I still have them in my thing. There's chocolate chips in there, and there's some peanut butter involved.
0: Delicious.
2: They're chewy. Chewy. They are good. So, chewy is your word. Um, and, yeah, when you've, what, in two more Sundays, you should have all of your words. Yeah. We're giving you some time. Unscramble that message. Send it to us. Yeah. You can direct message. You can email it. You can text one of us. Whatever. Um, however you feel most comfortable sending that in. Um, yeah. And win a prize. So, thanks. That's where we're at with that. Now you can put a little star by the word "chewy" because we did it. OK, so back to this dramatic shit. <laughs> so now we, we know all of our victims. We know who the killer is, but let's see how they find that out. Let's see
1: So do you want to do this part? Do you want me to keep going? What do you want to do?: I will go ahead wrong mouse) <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay. Because
2: we're about to get some more crazy-ass words, and I would love for you to try them.
0: <laughs> yes. All right, so in the investigation, upon reenacting um, Miniman's movements from the day of her disappearance, police questioned a proprietor of the wig shop that she had visited immediately prior to her disappearance. Um, Diana Joan Ghosh, who is the proprietor, She recalled that she visited the store to purchase a $20 headpiece in the early afternoon of July 23rd. She also recalled having observed a young man with short side-parted dark hair wearing a horizontal striped sweater waiting on a blue motorcycle outside the shop. Hmm. Very
1: strange. On a motorcycle, you say? Yes,
0: on a motorcycle.
1: That's what the psychic thought.
0: Um... She had also, oh, I'm sorry, reportedly uh, Beeman herself made the purchase and insisted that Ghosh observe the man with whom she had accepted a ride, stating that she had made two foolish errors in life, purchasing a wig and accepting a ride from a stranger.
2: This was absolutely an episode of something. I remember that exact same shit coming out. Oh, God.
0: Before she had stated, I've got to be either the bravest or the dumbest girl alive because I've just accepted a ride from this guy. Ghosh then observed her climb onto the motorcycle before the young man with whom she'd accepted the ride drove away.
2: Oh my god. Talk about last words.
0: Right. Ghosh would initially and incorrectly describe the motorcycle as being a Honda 350 model when questioned by police Um, and then the clerk in the store and the that was adjacent to the wig shop stated that the motorcycle was actually a triumph.
2: I mean... Look, I'm married to a guy that rides motorcycles and I still wouldn't be... I'd be like, it was a bike. (laughs) I don't know. It was a
0: motorcycle. (laughs) Um, The description of the young man with whom uh, Bina had last been seen alive with was heard by a patrolman named Larry Mathewson who believed the person described by Diana Ghosh and others may be john norman who was a hmm. former theta chi fraternity brother yeah. mind you john norman collins had been a former theta chi fraternity brother of the officer who received the call <laughs> um Fuck. and he'd also been interviewed previously but was eliminated from other police uh, inquiries Uh, He -hmm. himself had seen him riding his motorcycle in the Eastern Michigan University campus on July 23rd. Jesus. When Matthewson questioned Collins on July 25th as to the movements two days earlier, um, he admitted on that date in question that he had been riding his Triumph Bonneville in the vicinity and that he stopped to converse with a former girlfriend of his while doing so um this was also the point at which uh matthewson had observed him like the former girlfriend Mm -hmm. was then able to provide matthewson with two recent photos of collins and when matthewson showed these photographs to both gauche and her assistant patricia spaulding both women were adamant that the man in the photographs was the same individual with whom Bitteman had been last seen
2: She pointed out the guy. She said, I'm stupid. I just took a ride from this guy. We looked at the guy. We can identify the guy.
0: Police had already established that Collins was a known motorcycle enthusiast who owned several motorcycles, including a Triumph Bonneville. Fuck. He held a part-time job as an inspector at a firm that manufactured drum brakes, and he was currently majoring in elementary education. Prior Mm -hmm. to enrolling at Eastern Michigan University, he had been an honor student and the football co captain at his high school. All around great guy.
2: He's just a sweet angel. I already knew him. It was fine.
0: Collins had established a reputation among his peers as a habitual thief who had once been evicted from his fraternity house for stealing from his roommates. Despite casual acquaintances harking on his politeness around women, close female acquaintances who had dated Collins described him as aggressive, short-tempered, oversexed, and he occasionally engaged in violence against women, including one instance where he had raped a woman who uh, resisted his advance. Great. Wow. Turner, you. All of this is coming together. (laughs) Mm. Um, Seems like. Moreover, several female acquaintances divulged that Collins would become enraged upon learning that a woman was menstruating.
1: Uh Uh Uh, That's so weird. That's That's so
0: weird. Um, One woman revealed to police that on one occasion Collins had begun groping her breasts and she informed him that she was experiencing her period and in response he yelled... That's really disgusting, and angrily walked out of her apartment.
2: Y'all no, that's gonna happen. It's natural. There's nothing we can do fix- about it. I can't fix.
0: Sorry. That. Upon questioning Collins, uh, upon questioning Collins' coworkers, investigators learned that Collins had repeatedly taken delight in describing in graphic detail the injuries inflicted upon each successive victim linked to the Michigan murder. <sighs> um, That's the so nice. And he claimed that these details had been provided to him by his uncle by the name of David Leek, who served as a sergeant in the police force. Fuck. Really?
2: Yeah. Mm, so he's got frat brothers in the police force, his uncle's in the pra- police force? Yeah.
0: Ugh. Um, the injuries described by Collins were consistent with those inflicted upon the victims who had not, which had not been disclosed in the news media, and David Leake would inform investigators that he had not disclosed any information on the Michigan murders to his nephew.
2: Okay. So, he's clear. (laughs) I didn't tell him shit. He must know this from some other way.
0: Investigators also ascertained that Collins had either been acquainted with most of the victims... Had currently or previously lived close to their place of residence, or had likely established possible prior contact to their murder.
2: Wow, they knew.
0: In the case of Mary Flesher and Joan Sheil, investigators were able to establish that he had been a neighbor of both of the women, and at the time of Fletcher's disappearance, Collins had actually worked in the office at the East Mich- at East Michigan University located directly opposite the hallway from the office where Flesher worked. Wow. Through interviewing a recent girlfriend of his, investigators also learned that she had lived in an apartment complex directly across the road from the home of Don Basom, and that oh. throughout their courtship, Collins had been a regular visitor to her apartment. As such, hmm. she was acquainted with Basum the time that he went to his girlfriend's home
2: wow and that kind of explains why these girls it's like oh it's that guy i know that guy i've seen that guy before he's around here he works at the whatever i know him
0: he works at whatever <sighs> He's my friend's neighbor or he's my friend's boyfriend my neighbor's yeah. boyfriend all of this kind of shit
1: wow
4: yeah oh that's so gross
0: so, following her identification of photographs of Collins, police further questioned the proprietor of the wig shop, which Benjamin had last been seen alive, and asking her to identify the man who had, she, who had she, who she had seen with Benjamin in a police mm-hmm. lineup. In the lineup, Mrs. Ghosh mm-hmm. positively identified the man she had seen with Karen Benjamin as John Norman mm-hmm. Collins. In total. Damn. Seven witnesses will be found who had later testified to have seen Collins in the area between the university campus and Miss Ghosh's wake shop between 11 and 1 on July 23rd, including three young women who stated that Collins had attempted to entice them onto his motorcycle. Mm. Wow. On July 27th, police arrived at his apartment on Emmett Street, That Collins shared with his roommate, Arnold Davis. Although Collins emphatically protested his innocence and insisted the eyewitness identification had been an error, he refused to return to the police station to take the holograph. Hmm. The following evening, Davis observed Collins emerging from his bedroom carrying a a box that was partially covered by a blanket and as David, open, as Davis opened the door for his roommate to leave the apartment, he observed the contents of the box, which included a woman's purple shoe, rolled up jean mm, material, rolled up jean material, and a burlap purse. Later that Fuck. evening, Collins informed Davis that he had simply decided to get rid of in the box.
1: Oh, okay. Sure. You have the evidence. All
0: right. So, wow, Collins' uncle, David Leek, had been on vacation with his family at the time of the Benemans' disappearance, and he returned home on July 29th, three days later after the discovery of her body. Hmm. Um, throughout the vacation, Collins had been temporarily residing in the Leak family's Ypsilanti home, having been granted sole access to the home um, so that he could feed the German Shepherd. Oh man. Upon the oh, return man. from their vacation, uh Leek's wife, Sandra, had noted numerous paint marks covering the floor of the apartment or their basement. And there were several items, including a bottle of ammonia, some washing powder, and a canister of black spray paint that were missing. That's really oh. strange items for you to like specify that you have in your home, but okay. <laughs>
2: I, I wouldn't I wouldn't notice if we if one of our spray paints oh, went yeah, missing, I, I would never know.
0: <laughs> okay. Don't
2: pay attention to our sure. shit that
0: much. Um, the same day Leek was advised that his nephew was a suspect and the level of circumstantial evidence unfolded against his nephew.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Leek acknowledged that the oh. evidence gathered against his nephew was compelling and in his first interview he advised officers that the items missing from the household that he didn't He actually didn't notice any of the things missing from the household paint marks that his wife had found any of that the next morning leek scraped away some of the black paint sprayed on the basement floor to reveal a stain which looked like human blood and he immediately returned to the police and told them of his finding
2: what a not gonna lie what a crafty way to try and cover up some blood because, like, you try to clean it, and you genius. know that there's stuff that can, like, show you later. So it's like, well, let's just paint it. <laughs> Y'all, it doesn't work, just so you know. It doesn't work.
0: <laughs> He's a smart guy. Yeah. Um, Then, of course, the basement was subjected to intense forensic examination. And forensic experts later deduced that the stains covered by the black paint had actually been varnish stains. Um, one of the investigators then discovered numerous hair clippings, many of those measured less than three-eighths no. of an inch, <gasps> and they were all next oh, to the, the family's one. washing machine. Yeah.
1: Oh,
0: no. One question asked the source of these clippings, uh, Leek informed investigators that his wife routinely cut the children's hair in the basement and that she had done so shortly before the family embarked on a vacation man Uh, moreover the search also uncovered small blood stains in nine areas of the basement two of these blood stains were discovered to be type a which was b type so at this point when we do in 1969 when we're doing like blood evidence they're not matching like what we have now like alleles they're not matching the alleles they're just matching the blood type yeah um, the hairs found on Benjamin's panties and those recovered mm-hmm. in the basement were subjected to neuron analysis to determine whether they had been sourced from the same individuals, and the samples recovered from both locations were a precise match.
2: Fuck. So he took their his uncle's kids' That's hair clippings fuck. and shoved them up her? Wow.
0: Um what? Why? Again, Why does that make sense? And Collins is like, "I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm innocent." Um, and mm. upon questioning of the neighbors, they yielded additional circumstantial evidence. One neighbor recalled having witnessed Collins leaving his uncle's home in a with a deluxe laundry detergent box prior to the family returning to, from their vacation, and another informed investigators that she had heard the muffled.
1: That's fucked up.
0: The same afternoon that they searched the basement, Collins was confronted with the evidence and he burst into tears while he was informed mm. of the stains on the floor that were covered with Um, He quickly regained his composure and continued to deny any knowledge of Karen Sue. Mm. Later that day, having received initial laboratory reports indicating that the hair samples that were recovered from her pants matched those in the basement, and that the blood stains recovered were the same type as hers. Collins was arrested at his apartment, and the vehicle searched.
2: And Karen Sue, she was a thirteen-year-old.
0: Right? No, Karen Sue Bittman, the the college student who bought the. Oh, wait, never mind. You're right. You're right. Never right. mind. Uh, despite recovering numerous stolen items from his apartment and being informed by Arnold Davis that Collins had been. Had been in the habit of committing burglaries with a former roommate of theirs no incriminating evidence ever linked collins to being a or any hmm. other michigan murder victim wow although officers okay. were informed by arnold davis on this date of the incident two days earlier in which he had observed collins carrying a laundry box containing women's clothing and jewelry from his apartment to but mm. so no point did anybody think that this
1: guy was.
2: Yeah. <sighs> well, and I think part of it too is he just seems like such a nice young man. So why would you. God, there's no way he could do it. It's like, oh,
1: First, but he could. That's just a sweet
2: young man. Uh, everybody's capable
1: of everything. You want to read about the additional oh. murder? Yeah. Move on. Hold on, let me get it. Let me pull that back up.
2: Where did that go? I've gone all the way down to witness testimonies. Hold on. (laughs) Okay, so in early August, investigators were contacted by their counterparts in Salinas, California. And they stated that they had reason to believe that a Michigan individual named John may be responsible for the June 30th death of a 17-year-old girl named Roxy Ann Phillips. So on August 3rd, two Washtenaw County detectives traveled to Salinas Police Department to review information and determine whether a connection existed between Phillips' murder and those which Collins was suspected of committing in Michigan. So reviewing the information regarding the murder of Roxanne Phillips, investigators determined that immediately prior to her disappearance... Phillips had informed a close friend that she had become acquainted with an Eastern Michigan University student named John. He drove a silver-gray Oldsmobile Cutlass, and he was temporarily residing with a friend in a camper trailer. Meanwhile, I'd be like, friend, no. Um, (laughs) Upon tracing, (laughs) that seems like not the best. You'll never see him again. He's from Michigan. Upon tracing Collins' movements in relation to the dates of the disappearance and then the murders of seven murder victims linked to the Michigan murder, which then included Jane Mixer, police discovered that on June 21st, Collins and his roommate, Andrew Manuel, had traveled to Monterey in Collins' Oldsmobile Cutlass, which the pair used to tow a camper trailer that they had rented under false names, and they had paid for for it with a stolen check. Um, for this vacation, so Collins had later returned to Michigan alone in his vehicle, and Manuel would later be located in Arizona following Collins's arrest. The throughout in throughout though interviewing acquaintances of Phillips, the investigators established that she had been introduced to the individual she had referred to as John from Michigan through a 17-year-old friend named Nancy Ann Albrecht, whom. Uh, who had informed police that she herself had been acquainted with Collins, and that she had mentioned her friend, um, uh, she had mentioned her friend Phillips to Collins on this date. So she's, I have this friend, blah blah blah. Um, Albrecht described this individual, whose surname she did not know, of course, as being five foot eleven in in height. Uh, clean cut, with dark brown hair, who had described himself as an Eastern Michigan University senior with aspirations to become a teacher. Motherfucker, if you're going to rent shit under a fake name and have a weird-ass vacation and kill somebody, maybe lie about who you are. Yeah,
0: don't tell the truth. You're an idiot. You're just asking to be caught, sir.
2: Yeah. So Albrecht had provided Monterey County investigators with an identikit, which, in addition to her descriptions of the suspect's possessions, circumstances, and status bore a striking resemblance to John Norman Collins. She had made arrangements to meet Collins at her home on June 30th but he had never arrived. Philip's nude body battered um and yeah, Philip's nude battered body had been found in a ravine in Carmel High- Highlands on July 13th with a belt belonging to her Colette? culotte dress. What's that? Hold on. I need to click on the link. It'll tell me. It's an item of clothing worn on the lower half of the body. The term can refer to a split skirt or historical men's breeches or women's underpants. Hmm. Okay. Oh, neat. Didn't know that. Well, anyways, the belt from that was knotted around her neck and she had been strangled to death and, as with several Michigan victims linked to Collins, one earring was missing.
0: All these so trophies her- this man is taking.
2: I know, and isn't he lucky that it was small, because the one girl not wearing earrings, he had to take a shoe. Like, what the fuck, you piece of shit. Several of her personal possessions would later be found strewn along State Route 68. The house trailer, where Collins and Manuel had traveled to California, was located on August 1st in Salinas County, behind the home of Andrew Manuel's grandfather. Um, A forensic examination of the trailer revealed that it had been wiped completely clean of fingerprints. And upon questioning the grandfather, investigators were informed that his grandson and one John Collins had temporarily resided in the trailer, which they had hired from a Ypsilanti rental firm between June and July, before both men had abandoned the trailer and, he believed, returned to Michigan. And clearly his grandson did not. He went somewhere else. So, having compared case notes, the investigators in both California and Michigan agreed enough similarities existed between these: the murder of Roxy Ann Phillips and the Michigan murders. Yeah to establish a definite connection between the cases. And then on August 5th, the connection was formally announced. So an FBI arrest warrant was issued against Andrew Manuel, who was located in Phoenix, and detained by the FBI agents. And then Manuel was extensively questioned as to his potential involvement in both Phillips murder and those committed in Michigan, because, motherfucker, you're traveling with this idiot. You know, and clearly you're fake names and you're doing all this stuff. You must know something. Um... So they had him agree to a polygraph test, but no hard evidence would ever arise suggesting his involvement in any murders. And the wash... You would think you would know something, right? Because why would y'all wipe the whole thing clean and then leave and you don't go back to Michigan?
1: Had to have... But okay. So, but but no hard evidence.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. Um... So anyway, uh, the Washtenaw County Prosecutor's Office would publicly announce on December 18th that their satisfaction that Manuel had no knowledge of the murders. And then a formal indictment would later be served against Collins for the first-degree murder of Roxy Phillips, although the evidence surrounding the indictment was ordered to be sealed until after Collins' trial for the murder of Karen Sue Beneman and after that had been concluded. So that's fun. So yeah, that's one more. In California. So, yeah, um, and timeline, that was between Alice and Karen that they, he got Roxy.
0: Yes. So okay. on August 14th of 1969, Collins attended his pretrial hearing. Um, after hearing six hours of testimony from nine prosecu- prosecution witnesses, Judge Edward Deek ruled that probable cause had, to, of course, been established. And Collins was formally mm. ordered to stand trial for Benjamin's murder. At a second hearing in September, Collins refused to enter his plea, and the Washtenaw County Circuit Court Judge John Conklin ordered a plea of not guilty on his behalf. Hmm. So so that he could stand trial. Um, Yeah, huh? At this hearing, the attorney, Richard Ryan, challenged the validity of the physical evidence and the credibility of the circumstantial evidence before formally requesting the case against his client be completely dismissed and the evidence be (laughs) from his rooming house and um, the evidence seized from his rooming house and his vehicle suppressed upon the grounds that Collins had not consented to a police.
2: Oh my god, oh my god, I hate technicalities. That's Brian ridiculous. Ryan
0: further stated that the hearing at the hearing that he was undecided as to whether the upcoming trial should be heard, heard away from Ann Arbor.
2: Because hmm. I'm so familiar with the yeah, shit. Yeah, because now of all the, the publicity
0: and everything. Um, and his Ugh. final motion was held in abeyance until an impartial jury could be selected. On October Damn. 14th, Judge Uh, Conklin rejected the defense's motions to dismiss the case or suppress any of the evidence and his Collins arrest had been on reasonable grounds and that he had committed a felony.
2: Yeah. Also, we have tons of evidence.
0: (laughs) So, the trial began on June 2nd of 1970. And he was tried in Ann Arbor again in front of the same judge that he saw for his agreement.
4: Oh, wow. Jury selection. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: unfortunate. Right? Jury selection <laughs> began on the date and continued until July 9th. Several motions by the defense counsel throughout the jury selection process that the trial should be moved from from Ann Arbor to a different jurisdiction. Um, they were all rejected. Yeah. Every last one of them. He ruled oh. on June 29th that 14 members of the jury selected from Ann Arbor by this date and considered sa- that were all considered satisfactory by both counsels would serve as the jurors throughout the entire trial. And upon recommendations from his lawyers, Collins chose not to testify. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't. The prosecutors at the trial, William Delney and Booker Williams, opted to charge Collins with only the murder of Sue Karen Sue Bedeman.
2: Because um, that's the one you have the most, like, real evidence yeah. for. And reliable witnesses and all of that stuff. Exactly. The rest is all circumstantial.
0: And basically, they said that the murder had clearly taken place in the basement of the Yeah. In opening statements, Delhi outlined the prosecution's contention that the evidence to be presented would form a clear pattern that indicated that collins had been in the company of karen sue but is that a dog yeah
2: is it a
1: real
0: dog <laughs> yeah that's a real dog outside
2: sorry, not, guys. it sounded like someone's like weird dog ringtone going off i was like what's that
0: sorry guys um so the evidence shown that claire uh, that karen sue Beneman was clearly in the presence of collins at the time that she was last seen alive, and that he had taken mm-hmm. her to her to the home of his uncle, where she had been tortured and beaten before strangling her to death. Wow. Then he discarded wow. of her body before attempting to persuade his roommates to provide a false alibi. Mm. The mm. two primary witnesses before the jury would be the accurate the Two primary questions, sorry, before the jury, would be the accuracy of the eyewitnesses who can be called to testify and ultimately whether the more than 500 hair samples found in Veneman's panties match the hair clippings that were recovered from the basement of Collins' uncle.
2: Yeah, what a weird fucking thing to do, you idiot. <laughs>
0: Ugh, I'm just like, God. why would you put hair in an what made you think not that, even your hair. that was such a stupid thing to do um, that's so gross he also stated the prosecution's intent to prove that Collins had sole access to his uncle's home which clearly we know that's true because people said yeah. that he did um, although there was a ton of efforts to remove physical evidence from the home, including blood samples that were recovered that were a matched Mm-hmm. He formally closed his opening statements to the jury by requesting that they return a verdict of life imprisonment with no possibility of parole. Mm-hmm. The defense contended that although the murder of Benhamen was a vicious attack, which degraded her body almost beyond human comprehension, the prosecutor's yeah. case that Collins was the perpetrator of the crime was weak. Uh-uh. His defense attorneys in their opening statements labeled the eyewitnesses' identification of both Collins and his motorcycles as flawed and unreliable and stated their intentions to introduce several witnesses who provide an alibi for their client in the early afternoon hours of the uh, prosecution. And, and that the prosecution's witnesses had been, oh yeah, flawed
2: um yeah collins... i was gonna say they asked someone what kind of motorcycle she said the wrong brand and then later right. well, what does this look like yes that's him is this the guy you saw yes and then you bring her in to identify the same guy that she already yeah. identified in the photo
0: Colin's attorneys also allege that these alibi witnesses had been subjected to police harassment and that their tests conducted upon the hair samples found in benjamin's panties were unreliable and that collins uncle had refused
2: to divulge the blood types of mm. Gee. so what we think his
0: uncle did it like that's that's ugh, come the um, like
2: idea yeah is that you can't we can't say for certain that he's the only guy that had access to this hair and to the victim.
1: Whole damn family is out of town. Anyway yeah, um
4: God
1: formal witness testimony before
2: like, behind me sorry I saw something walk behind me in the corner, and it was my dog.
4: Don't I scare it me was like
2: a that. I'm so sorry. It really, my little heart, I didn't know what it was. She's supposed to be in the other room.
0: So formal witness testimony began on July 20th of 1970. The first two witnesses to testify were Biedemann's two roommates who had discussed her character, her movements on the day of their disappearance. These two witnesses were followed by the individual who had found her body, the medical examiner. And the medical examiner testified to the fact that although Beatamann had been deceased for almost 72 hours, her body had only lain in the location that she was found for 24 hours prior to discovery.
2: So she had been moved and she wasn't killed there.
0: Yeah. Um, pri- the following day, uh, Washtenaw County Sheriff... Douglas Harvey testified as to the discovery of her body, her subsequent autopsy, and his obtaining an updated composite drawing of the suspect with whom Biedemann had last been been seen as to what Ghosh and her assistant Patricia Balding said. Mm. Both women agreed that the composite was accurate and only disagreed as to the structure of the suspect's
1: Oh, for fuck's sake.
0: Furthermore, it's a drawing. Further, furthermore, Ghosh had identified a photograph shown to her of Collins as him being the man who was with him. to expand on their allegations that certain defense witnesses had been subjected to harassment and that the eyewitness accounts had been flawed, the defense attorney subjected Sheriff Harvey to a 45-minute cross-examination as to his contact hold- with the two eyewitnesses prior to completion of this composite drawing. Mm. Well, I know what it's oh, like to be testifying
1: for 45 minutes. It's exhausting. So
0: yeah, can't flaw the man if he gets something wrong, you know?
2: Yeah, you're like, I already told you. Please don't let me tell you again. Right,
0: <laughs> Sheriff Harvey admitted to having driven Miss Ghosh and her assistant to East Lansing to update a composite drawing of the suspect. And that he had shown photographs of various suspects, including Collins, to Ghosh prior to her formally identifying Collins in a lineup.
2: Which Okay, so he didn't just show her the one. No, he showed her
0: multiple people, which I feel like is normal. Yeah, that's what you're supposed
2: to do. You Um, know, go, is this the guy? Do you think this is the guy? Tell me this is the guy.
0: (laughs) Three days later, Joan Ghosh was called to testify on behalf of the prosecution. And in response to questioning from the prosecution attorneys, she described how, on the afternoon of um, Benjamin's disappearance, she had informed her that she had accepted a lift home from a man who was waiting outside the wig shop. She was then asked to formally identify the individual upon whose motorcycle she had observed waiting outside the shop, and she pointed directly at Colin.
4: Mm.
0: The testimony of Joan Ghosh was further supported by Patricia who testified as to having observed Collins for between three to four minutes as he waited for Beaman to return to his motorcycle.
2: That's enough time to get to know someone's face.
0: Although they were subject to intense cross-examination by the defense attorney, As to the credibility of their testimony, Ghosh remained insistent in her identification of Collins as being the individual who waited for Karen Sue to return to his motorcycle. In an effort to discredit her testimony, the defense attorney diverted questioning as to the model of the motorcycle that she had seen outside the shop, to which Ghosh conceded in her initial belief as to the model being a Honda 350, and she said it wasn't accurate. Yeah. In response uh, to questions as to her personal character, Bush further conceded that she had previously lied under oath on two occasions, one instance of which was completely unrelated to the
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Great. Arnold Davis testified as to his being in the company of Collins throughout the late afternoon of July 3rd, hours after Biedemann had been alive. Hmm. The following day hmm. following a consultation with the post counsels, uh, Judge Don Conklin allowed Davis to testify as to having observed Collins hurriedly remove a laundry box containing women's clothing and jewelry from his apartment and place the box into the trunk of his car prior to his arrest.
2: Thank God they didn't get that
0: like dismissed. taken
2: out of whatever, because that's kind of fucking important. And good on his roommate for saying something.
0: Ugh. Also to testify at the trial on behalf of the prosecution was Marjorie Barnes, who testified that on July 30th, she observed Collins leaving his uncle's home carrying a laundry box that was covered in a blanket. Um, she said mm. it was either the 24th or the 25th. In addition, Sandra Leak testified um, to Collins being given a key to the family home, and that way he could feed the German shepherd. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Leek also testified to having cut her children's hair in the basement two days prior to them leaving on vacation, and that when they Mm -hmm. returned home, she noticed that several items from her basement had been moved, that she had discovered a wet soiled cloth containing hair aside the laundry tub, and that other items, including a nearly full bottle of ammonia, were missing.
4: God, so weird.
0: On that same day... The head of the crime lab, Sergeant Kennard Christensen, testified to the results of the forensic tests that were concluded in the basement. And the results of these tests confirmed evidence of blood stains in four separate areas. And in response to defense questioning, he further stated that although partial fingerprints had been discovered in the basement, no full fingerprint had been discovered, which would have belonged to any of the Lee family members. Okay, good. On <laughs> july 23rd (laughs) prosecution introduced two forensic witnesses to testify regarding to the physical evidence indicating the victim had been killed inside of the home the first witness to testify was the michigan health department's crime the head of the michigan health department's crime detective laboratory walter holt who testified as to the human hair clippings inside of karen sue's panties and that those hair clippings were of course an exact match to those recovered from the basement and although yeah. he was subject to intense cross-examination as to the reliability Holt remained adamant that the color length and type type and diameter of the hair um, were a precise match to those that were found in the basement and then mm-hmm. a colleague named Curtis Fulker testified to the blood type of the samples recovered in the home that matched Karen Sue. Okay. The
1: 47th... 47th.
0: Okay. 47 witnesses in the trial.
4: Jesus.
0: Um, that was a University of California chemistry professor named Vincent Quinn who testified on August 5th as to his conclusions that the hair samples received from Beneman's panties bore a remarkably... A remarkable similarity to those retrieved from the household, and that mm-hmm. upon statistical calculations he had begun the previous month, the odds of erroneous matching of hair samples earlier testified by Walter Holtz were considerably low. There was no oh. possible chance that this could be just yeah. anybody's hair. Well, I like always, um, like, not
2: only I mean, am I can tell you they're the same, I'm going to start these calculations a month right. in advance. You're not going to find a match like this.
0: Dr. Gwynne did agree with the defense attorney that statistical analysis of hair measure- mixtures had never been attempted in a court of law, although he remained firm mm-hmm. that his applications had been performed via scientific. Okay. The defense called five witnesses on the behalf of Collins. Um, basically, to tell what he had done between them, there were okay,
1: really not anything. Um, I say,
2: alibis he had tried to arrange,
0: right? So, they introduced a renowned now analyst named Dr. Jervis, who had attempted to discredit the earlier testimony of the forensics. Experts who had testified on behalf of the prosecution.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Dr. Jervis testified that there were insufficient chemical samples that existed in the basement, so there was no possible way for them to accurate uh, neutron activation analysis. Oh, okay, um, and that in at least 10 of the hair structures that have been compared, um there was not enough okay so you sat there
2: yeah he's like everything you're saying can't really be true because x y and z
0: yeah basically he just said that there was insufficient data for hair samples so you mean to tell me okay. that you went through all 500 hair samples and matched them up to the um, so
2: much hair
0: Dr. Jervis's conclusions were supported by a private consultant named um, Ossicles Paracones a am so sorry yeah, Spell um, that A-U-S-E-K-L-I-S Ossicles P-E-R-K-O-N-S Paracones and sure, a Massachusetts based director of forensic research named um, They testified as to their belief that the hair samples received from Benemann's pants were from a different origin than the hair samples that were received from Globe stated that mm-hmm. because he had found only one single fiber on the victim's panties, the likelihood of her undergarments accumulating these hairs from the basement...
4: Oh, yeah. They were shoved in there.
0: He
2: grabbed them and put them in there. Right. She didn't receive them while he was laying in the basement.
0: <laughs> in rebuttal to the testimony of Dr. Gold, the defense recalled Dr. Walter Holtz recalled Dr. Walter Holtz on August 12th to testify as to the samples that he had taken to Dr. Gold for identification. Dr. Holtz Mm -hmm. affirmed that he had taken 20 magnified photograph slides of samples retrieved from her panties to Dr. Gold's laboratory for analysis and that they had contained numerous handmade materials.
4: Hmm. Okay.
2: Interesting. Well, I mean, yeah. And like, okay, so here, I'll try Y'all tried to say this didn't happen but we have too much other stuff Same and like it did anyway good fun trial great
0: jeez so in a final address to the jury on august 14th Judge conklin informed the panel that they had two choices in the verdict they could render guilty of first degree murder or of course not the jury then retired to consider their verdict and would deliber- deliberate for over 27 hours over a period of three days with an additional five and a half hours devoted to rereading reading the testimony holy crap on August 19 19- of nineteen I'm sure like,
2: all this scientific jargon shit being thrown around right? you'd want to reconsider because somebody's coming in and talking about fucking molecules and nucleus and all this stuff and you're like like Did the hairs match or not can someone just okay. tell me yes
0: <laughs> On yeah. August 19th of 1970, he was found unanimously guilty of first degree right. murder for Karen Sue Bennett. He remained impassive upon hearing the jury foreman announce the verdict, although many spectators mm. asked audibly. And his mm. mother and sister left the courtroom. Formal sentencing yeah. was set for August 28th. And on that day, he was formally sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. Prior to passing Mm -hmm. his sentence, the judge asked him if he wished to address the court. And in response, Collins made the following speech. I have two things to say. I think they, the jury, conscientiously Mm -hmm. tried to give the fair, give us a fair trial. The jury did not take its past lightly, but I think things were blown out of proportion. The circumstances surrounding this case prevented me from getting a fair trial. It was a travesty of justice that took place in this courtroom. I hope that someday it will be corrected. Second, I never knew a girl named Karen Sue Been I'd never had a conversation with her. I never took her to a wake shop. I never took her to my uncle's home. I never took her hmm. Um, Collins was then informed by the judge that if the verdict was wrong, the error would be corrected in course. He was then sentenced mm. to serve life imprisonment with hard labor and solitary confinement at Southern Michigan Prison.
2: Oh, shit. And he's still there. He's 73 now.
0: Upon the receipt of the guilty verdict against their client, his defense attorneys announced their intention to appeal on the grounds of tainted identification and the change of venue. The first motion by his attorneys um contending denial of defense motions to move the trial out of Washtenaw County and the prejudice of prosecution witnesses was filed with the Michigan's Court of Appeals on December fourteenth and the first appeal was formally rejected.
1: Yeah, good. <laughs> um he had
0: appealed his he had appealed his case on four Further occasions, citing that the contentions that the Michigan murders had received extensive media publicity and that five separate motions for change of venue had been submitted by the defense counsel, two of which have been filed throughout the jury election process upon the grounds Mm -hmm. of pretrial publicity, minimizing any chance of obtaining an unbiased jury each motion I mean, had which been is filed. probably true, but still, tough shit. <laughs> yeah. Each motion had been reversed or denied.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: His lawyers also argued that at the evidentiary hearing in April of 1970, shortly before jury selection began, Collins' indictment for the California murder of Roxy and Phillips had likewise received extensive media coverage, further reducing the chances of uh, potential jurors being unbiased. Moreover, a psychologist retained by the defense had testified on April 20th and this psychologist had been adamant that Collins' trial should be held outside of the county. And this motion was also reserved. Furthermore, Mm -hmm. his attorneys argued that issues such as admissibility of testimony relating to microscopic analysis of hair samples presented at the trial and the denial of the defense motions to depress Prosecution witnesses testifying against clients mm-hmm. in each appeal instance, Collins' conviction was out, upheld, and successive uh judges of the supreme court announced on 1974
1: their refusal to review.
2: Okay, mm. nothing was wrong here. I mean, here's the thing. Based on all this, I feel like he's fucking guilty. And, like, they went through, they looked at all this stuff. So unless his lawyers had gotten their way and they had suppressed all the evidence they wanted to and they had moved the location so that new people who have never heard of it aren't receiving all of the information. Like, that's the only way you could get off from this.
0: Right. So at the 1972 appeal hearing, Collins' lawyers did succeed in securing the partial striking of the testimony of Dr. Vincent P. Wynne, who was the final prosecution witness which testified as the odds of the erroneous matching of the hairs upon Karen Finneman's panties to those being in the Leake family basement being more than a million to one. They succeed. Oh, God, God.
2: Oh, man. Um, <laughs> the odds are a little bit
4: better than that.
0: <laughs> basically, okay. um, the appeal motion was partially upheld on the basis that Dr. Quinn's testimony relating to the probabilities was based on the statistical probability of another prosecution expert and therefore this part of testimony was um, impermissible. Basically it
2: was Okay.
0: Fine, that's fair. All they found.
2: Go ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead. Fine, that's fine. Take that out. The rest of the shit's all there, honey. You were carrying a laundry basket full of souvenirs and two different people saw you with it.
0: Um... At the time of his 1970 conviction, of course, the grand jury indictment against Collins remained outstanding in his relation to the murder of Roxy Phillips in Monterey, California. Physical Mm. evidence and circumstantial evidence linking him to the particular murder was stronger than any of the other six outstanding murders that were linked to him in Michigan. Um, Mm. Authorities in Monterey did file a motion to extradite Collins to California to stand trial, And the motions were repeatedly contested by his attorney, who opposed and successfully delayed his client's extradition upon the grounds of process.
1: Oh, good lord. Okay. Um,
0: (gasps) The state of California postponed their request to extradite him to face charges relating to her murder. And Collins was then ongoing all these appeals, so basically that's why Mm they held up a prosecution out of state. Right. Six months later, in January of 1972, Monterey County District Attorney formally announced via a spokesman the intention of California authorities to waive the extradition process against Collins. The spokesman indicated that the reasoning being was that Collins had already received a life sentence in Michigan, and their case was basically undeserving of priority attention by California. Oh, okay, our victim is your victim is less important than our one right come on uh um, there were also preliminary legal they based on that decision, the preliminary legal maneuvers between California and Michigan had been ongoing, but basically stopped everything
1: yeah Lord
0: and then of course, he was never tried for the murders of pleasure. Uh, shield skeleton Basum, callum or Phillips. Um, but of course, all of the physical and circumstantial evidence that exists in each case that indicated that he committed all of these. Uh, um,
1: yeah, of course, everything is there, they just haven't prosecuted for any of them. He was already sentenced one life sentence, not good. No, yeah, three days prior oh, yeah. to his arrest, unfortunately.
0: Fortunately, two young Ann Arbor detectives had arrived at Emmett Street apartment that Collins shared with his roommate to question him as to the circumstantial evidence that they then obtained against him, and Collins had protested his innocence on the occasion and insisted the eyewitnesses' identifications of him had been erroneous. Although he used to return to the police, no search warrant had been sought. Prior to him being questioned, and the apartment would only be searched on July 30th, two days after Arnold Davis said that he hurriedly removed the box of items from the apartment. Had That's two this, days to
2: remove anything else.
0: Right, had this violation of the county prosecution office not taken place, Collins may not have realized how seriously he was a suspect, and hmm. he wouldn't have disposed of any of the physical evidence. Would have assisted in. Crimes. god damn that probably sucks. would yeah, have been tried for their on the rest of
4: that box
2: he would have been
1: trying the rest of
4: the crimes
2: oh for sure and that's the thing
0: if you if they could have gotten that
4: box Ugh.
0: fuck um Jeez. his mother his siblings and several of his friends think that he is still innocent and mm. that he was the victim of a miscarriage of justice Hmm. His mother and two siblings refused to speak with David Leake and his wife following their testimony against Collins at the trial, despite ev- the evident distress of Sandra throughout her testimony, which she had testified that Collins had been as close to me as my own two siblings. Uh, um, yeah, so she testified con- for no yeah, reason. They, the family continues to have no contact with them. Yeah. Collins refused to grant any interviews to the media, but six years after his conviction, he formally requested a personal interview with the Ann Arbor News, and in this Mm. interview he vehemently denied his guilt in any of the murders, and he asserted that the key evidence attesting to his innocence had been suppressed by the prosecution team. The jury was biased, scientific testimony relating to the blood and hair comparisons had all been invalid.
2: Uh, and here's the thing if he is, if he is for any reason innocent and this is all just a really bad miscarriage of justice, that sucks. That really sucks. But and I, I, at this point, I'm like, honey, it's time. Like, if you could yeah. come clean, please, and let let's us know go that you did this, yeah. that would be great. Like, let's clear your mom and your brother so that they can talk to yeah. their relatives now. Like,
0: in October of 77, uh, Collins was transferred from Southern Michigan prison to Marquette Branch prison, a more secure facility due to his repeated Mm. dealing in contraband drugs and his conspiring with fellow inmates to escape. He was unable to participate in the actual successful escape due to having a broken foot. He then attempted another escape at Marquette branch prison via a tunnel with six fellow inmates. Um, And he was transferred to a more secure cell block. In nineteen eighty, he legally changed his surname to that of his biological father, which was Chapman.
4: The following year he
0: had formally requested a transfer to a Canadian prison in the belief that this would facilitate his prospects of eventual He holds dual citizenship under Canadian law and basically he would have been eligible for parole after serving nine years.
2: Wow. But that didn't did that work?
0: His application was granted and then denied because of public outreach.
4: Oh, thank fucking God. <laughs> uh, um,
0: then, despite repeatedly challenging this overturning of his decision to transfer him to a Canadian prison, federal court ruled in 88 that Chapman would remain at Marquette French Prison. In September of 88, he agreed to participate in a live interview. Um, To discuss his conviction, and for security reasons, his proposed live interview was canceled. Although Chapman agreed to submit to a filmed interview, in the interview, he again denied that he was guilty and he insisted that the prosecution was flawed, whatever. Mm. He was then transferred to Iona Correctional Facility in 1990. And throughout oh. his incarceration at Michigan Prison, Southern Michigan Prison and Marquette Branch Prison, he earned a reputation as a troublesome inmate who repeatedly flatted prison rules, was known to deal in contraband goods, and had served several periods of isolation for breaches of prison rules. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, he was returned later to Marquette Branch. What a peach. On uh, um, July 11th of 2005, a former nurse named Gary Earl Lederman was then charged with the murder of Jane Louise Mixer, who Function? was considered a possible third victim, although uh-huh. the M.O.
1: for her murder was the uh-huh. rest of the Uh-huh.
0: He was convicted on July 22nd and sentenced to life imprisonment without parole. Lederman lived 20 miles from Michigan University of Michigan at the time of her murder, and had never been considered a suspect. He was convicted based on DNA advancements, and the case was reopened in 2001. Hmm. His DNA was found on the victim's stockings, and his conviction oh, was shit. upheld by the court of
2: appeal. Oh shit! Okay, is she the one that was laid on top of the grave? yeah mixer okay shot not Mm -hmm. brutally stabbed okay
0: Patman is currently serving a life sentence Uh at the marquette branch prison and continues to maintain his innocence as to the murder of karen sue as well as other murders that were linked to him despite having refused a 77 order to submit further to draft test
2: huh isn't that interesting that's so weird, because yeah, as, as we go through all of that stuff, I'm like, maybe the boy is innocent, but I, the rest of it, I'm like, no, 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 but he's totally guilty, and all of them are clearly connected, and blah, blah, blah. What a trip, though, and this is not one that, like, I don't think I've ever heard in complete detail with yeah. all of this, and it's real gross. Like, he did some really fucked
0: up shit. So, Ugh. there was an unrele- unreleased movie called Now I Lay Me Down to Oh, great. Um, It was filmed in
1: 1977. Okay, good. Then there were books,
0: of course, True Crime, Michigan State's Cases, Karen Ypsilanti, Catching Serial Killers, Michigan Murders, The Evil Within, um, and the Encyclopedia of Modern Murder. Um, And then ID Discovery.
4: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes, thank you ID. for your hard
1: work. All your service. Um,
0: they broadcast an episode focusing on these murders called A New Kind of Monster, which was part of the series A Crime to
2: Remake. Ah, It's a good series.
0: That might be where you heard of it.
1: Okay, yeah. What a trap. Ugh.
2: Thanks for including that in our season. Man, so if y'all weren't getting enough of the civil unrest, welcome to this bitch, right? Gross, so,
0: yeah, that's it.
2: Oh my god, and here's the thing like, as I'm reading through the actual victims, and I get to you know, what's her name, and it's like, and there was hair stuffed in her panties, and it's like, I really don't want to say this out loud, but clearly it's a main thing, yeah, like, because that
0: was literally the entire uh. basis of his,
2: yeah. Because all the rest didn't go to trial for any of that. The one girl mixed her with another guy because of that. And that's one where I'm like, man, too bad we don't have more evidence to test now that we have all the advances and stuff to be like, sir, if you're innocent, let's prove it. Because there was no... There was only semen left behind at the one. It wasn't left behind at the other ones. Or they were so badly decomposed that they couldn't recover anything.
0: Yeah, my only thought here is that maybe would be able to find some bit of DNA on, like, the skirt that one of the girls was strangled with.
2: Yeah, well, and for sure, like, taking all the different clothing and putting around their necks, there's gotta be something there, you would think. That's it. I don't know. But if anything was saved, or if it was all of them, you know.
0: And then, of course, the evidence that he, like, really hated women who were menstruating. Like, what? And then all of those women were on their period. Except
4: for Mixer. Oh. So, yeah. I guess that makes
1: sense. I don't know. That's so gross. I don't know. But Thank yeah.
2: you. Okay. Thanks for those of you who stuck through with us. You're a gem. This is not Long the best episode. time in our... You know what I'm saying? This is not the best time in this climate to be going through this kind of stuff. But if you're us, you like it. And you want to learn. And so that's why we're here. So we appreciate y'all doing this with
0: us. Yeah. Um, Ooh. That's it. We will see you guys on Thursday at
1: 8 a.m. And we're starting some good shit Thursday, right?
2: Thursday? Oh my god, you guys, on Thursday, we're starting, is it the Zodiac? Yes, we are. Zodiac Part 1, which is a big fucking story, so that is two episodes and a lot of talking, and they're they're gonna be long.
0: And a lot of me and Ange going on and on about the Zodiac and all kinds of stuff so Ange and I have Zodiac part one on Thursday Zodiac part two on Sunday
2: Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to okay. make sure I'm like Thursday my schedule is clear yeah all I'm doing Thursday is research and prepping we're gonna eh, do
1: this gonna I
0: have an, long, e- I have an ear little, nose and
2: throat appointment
0: two days of information yeah. and yeah. then the Manson murders the week after that it's gonna be a long two days of information. Yeah, but if you've
2: ever wanted to learn about Zodiac or Manson and you don't know all the details, like, I'm familiar with a lot of it that I'm sure doing this, I'm going to be like, I'm, excuse me, what? I didn't know that. I didn't know that was part of this. Because a lot of the stuff I have familiarity with is, like, out there in the... In the public like, sector.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's not so much the investigation, it's movies or TV yeah. shows based or characters created Really from. good
0: movies, so. by the way, you guys. <laughs> Zodiac movie is... Yeah.
2: It's, it's good. That's a rewatch that I need to do.
0: Jake Gyllenhaal tomorrow. is my baby. It's on Netflix. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal is so a baby
0: in that movie.
4: <laughs> yes, he is. He's a small baby child.
0: Um, I tell Joey oh, okay. all the time, if you guys have not seen the Zodiac movie, that is the um, Avengers prequel. Because, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal <laughs> plays the, oh the bad guy in the latest movie. And... um. <laughs> Isn't the Hulk in that? The Hulk is in it. Mark Ruffalo is in it. And <laughs> Mark uh, and, and Iron Man is in it. Robert Downey Jr. Sure. Everybody's in that movie. <laughs> so we call it the Avengers uh, prequel. <laughs> prequel.
2: <laughs> this is what they were doing before. Well, and that's like that. the one girl that played Robin on How I Met Your Mother. She's in some of the Avengers movies from S.H.I.E.L.D. She's an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And there was a meme that came out and it was like, uh kids this is the summer that your aunt robin joined shield <laughs> right like, oh, jesus that's so funny oh so,
0: yeah the, i if you guys have not seen the avengers prequel the zodiac uh go ahead and check out zodiac it's on netflix you guys can watch it there jay chillen hall of mark ruffalo and robert downey jr
2: <laughs> oh yeah if so anyone wants weird. to virtually watch with me it'll be tomorrow during the day while i'm painting yeah we'll so weird that.
0: Um, and then of course, again, you guys make sure you follow us on all of our social media. Um, if you guys want to listen to past episodes, of course, right up here in the corner, if you guys want to listen to past episodes, go ahead and catch us on all of our pod catchers. Catch us on the podcast, okay. Um, and then if you guys would like to leave any tips, you can always, always, always follow us, subscribe, leave us tips on our Patreon page where we have all kinds of tears for you guys mm-hmm. can... and we'll send you some fun stuff hey hey, do it
2: and thank you to the last electric rodeo band for allowing us to use their song bronze age of horror at the end of each one of our episodes if you want to learn more about them go to Lastelectricrodeo.com dot com or find them on facebook last electric rodeo you guys know What's
1: the it? deal stay safe
0: yes. lock your doors be aware mm-hmm. of your surroundings. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Be care of yourselves. Be care of mm-hmm. others. Stay
1: healthy. We'll catch you on Thursday. Part one. Yay! Yay. All right. Peace out, Cub Scouts. Bye.